Well, I want to talk to you about royalty again. So I'm going to dive into royalty. Um, last week we talked a little bit about um, the language of royalty. I think loyal, ro royalty has a language. And uh, actually this week, Zach and I went out to lunch, and while we were sitting there talking about all of this over lunch, I got like another insight. Uh, so I, I just kind of feel like I've been getting insights this week about some of this. One of the insights that I got that I felt was connected to all of this is that, that and again, you know, as we think about language, I'm using language as a metaphor. So we're not talking about um, today's Spanish or English, though there are, uh, there's relevant metaphoric parallels. That's the idea that I want you to catch. So the language that we speak uh, until we come to the Lord is first Adam language. And first Adam language, I don't know what that looks like to you. A lot of your first Adam language is that which develops in the culture of your family. And then with regard to uh, your own generational issues, be it blessings or curses. So, but that, you know, that language could be the language of common. It could be the language of limitation. It could be, it could be profane. Uh, it could be you're no good. It could be you'll never amount to anything. It, uh, it, it could be, though, also very, very dream-centered and visionary. It could be very positive, but it could be positive out of futility if you don't yet have Christ in your life. So that's kind of your, you know, your initial uh, foundation for, for communication, uh, is this unredeemed perspective, first Adam perspective. But then we come to church, and here's my fear, is that there's a second language that we learn, so we become bilingual. I don't think church language necess is necessarily royal language. I hear a lot of church people, I've been in church all my life, I'm an old guy now, uh, and I hear a lot of church people talking, and I don't know that they necessarily have royal language, and I don't mean they don't cuss. Uh, most, most, most church people don't cuss. At least they don't cuss frequently. And so, so I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the framework of our speech. I'm talking about the foundation from which our speech comes, and kind of the the nuance and the, the flavor and the emphasis and the kind of the heart and the attitude of speech. And so we come to church, and my fear is that we come to church and that we don't learn royal language in church, we learn legal language in church. We learn legal ease. We learn righteous ease. We learn holy ease. We learn church ease or Christian ease, but we don't necessarily learn royal ease. And fact is, part of that legalese that we learn is to keep royalty from happening. So kind of like the crabs in the crab pot, if one crab starts to crawl out, then other crabs reach up and pull them down. Hey, where are you going? <laughs> you can't get out of this crab pot, right? And so 
we become bilingual. We we pick up on, and I don't, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of weird with languages. You know, Joel has a poor Joel. You know, like where I I uh, I will meld or emulate or uh, morph into whatever um, tonality that I'm near. And I don't do this on purpose. I don't know why I do this. We wish we could save me from doing this, right? So, <laughs> fact is, just recently we pulled out a bunch of family videos and we're watching these family videos. Well, for a long season, a lot of my influence was Southern influence. And so people would ask me, are you from the South? So we pulled out these videos of TV commercials, right? TV commercials and uh, preaching and some of this stuff. For, yeah, for this church. Yeah, it was, yeah, old stuff. We've been here 28 years, so back in the beginning type stuff. And it, we, it's, it's so funny. We want to play it for you. We're, th- we get, we're looking for a moment to play it for you. But your pastor is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm talking like the South, I'm, I got this South, it's this Southern thing, you know, and, and I, you all got to come to church. And I mean, the, we were watching this, the family was cracking up. It is so bad. But when we go on mission trips, it is so bad. When we're in Uganda for two days, I start talking the Queen's English. We go to the Philippines, I'm in the Philippines. Two, within two days, I'm, I am, pray the Lord, hallelujah. I mean, I got... I mean, I got the Philippine English down within two days. And I, I, don't, I mean, I need prayer. I absolutely need prayer. And it's a good thing that we live in the Northwest where there's supposed to be no accent uh, because we can constantly measure me against that, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I would, I would go nuts. I would go nuts. So, so I'm not talking about the accent, so much. But in church, we come, you know, we come into church, and, 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 and again, my fear is that we don't learn the royal language, we learn the church language. But the church language, and so bilingual, but, but we, need to be, we, we need to become multilingual. There's another language. I, I believe there's a language of heaven. Now, oddly enough, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about tongues of heaven or languages from heaven. Um, you know, Michael talking about praying in a spiritual tongue, a spiritual language. Uh, I think since we've become citizens of heaven, that the citizenship, the royalty, the sonship, the transformation, the glory... Uh, that it that it should influence our language, and that that if it's not influencing our language, or if we're not kind of intermixing the transformation of heart with the language of our voice or the way we speak, then we're missing out on a portion of the kingdom to that degree, because we know that language and kingdom participation are very interwoven. Right? They're very interwoven. And, and, and usually we want, we, we long to be a part of the kingdom that we're a part of. Linguin, linguistic, oh, your friends should be here, Michael. Um, educators <clears throat> will tell us that there are 100 very important words in every language, right? 
and you should learn those, those 100 words first. Those, those, there's 100 supremely important words. And I think that's what happens a little bit. I think all of us morph a little bit into the culture that we're in. And then we find that we fit into that culture. We learn the top 100 words. And then we, you know, we, we find that we fit into that culture and that we're accepted in that culture. But what if that culture is not a royal culture? We're called to royalty. We're called to royalty. And so a part of that is learning what it is to think and speak as one that is royal, one that is redeemed out of slavery. We've not been called again unto slavery, but we've been called to be free sons and daughters of God, those who know our Father, those who are joint heirs with Jesus, those who have inherited fully the earth, I, I, I want to spend a little bit of this morning uh, in the framework of thinking about language and, and trying to move us. Uh, we've already moved away from first Adam's language, linguistic paradigm, but um, it could be that we're still stuck in a religious paradigm. And a religious paradigm, it's got like a, it's got like a humility to it as well, uh, a humility that actually pushes royalty away. Last week I mentioned two words, in fact, as I mentioned two words during the sermon, and um, a church member came to me afterwards and said, uh, hey, hey, you know, uh, both of those, you know, two of those words you talked about today, uh, that's me. That's me. Uh, my mom called me a peon, but it was actually a term of endearment. So I'm okay with that. And I've always considered myself ordinary. And, and I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't want to be anything other than ordinary. And so I said, well, what if God has something higher for you than ordinary? Is humility to strive for common or ordinary, or is true humility to obey the Holy Spirit? And this is a, this is a thought for you to think about, that... If you consider, uh, sometimes I think we consider ourselves ordinary or common or we, uh, only we, after we've been beat up a few times, this is my perspective, only, <laughs> over, only after you've had a few uh, dreams knocked out of you and you've been beat up a few times, uh, then you don't want to expect too much because if you over-expect you might be disappointed. It's better to under-expect and be surprised than over-expect and be disappointed. This is the rationale. Are, are you with me today? And uh, God wants you to throw that rationale away. That rationale can't be married to the faith of the majestic, glorious, 
image that he's chosen for you in Christ Jesus. So true humility is actually true humility is actually not what you think about you but it's actually to accept what God thinks about you. And God says that you've been recreated or made we originally we were made in the image of God. So then for you to call yourself ordinary you'd have to call God ordinary because you're his image. So that would be a problem right there. So right now, you, you have ruined your next worship service because you're going to come into the house of the Lord and you're going to say, you are ordinary. You are ordinary. Oh, God, common are you. That's not going to fly. Well, you're made in his image. So he's saying to you right now that you looking at you as ordinary is not going to fly. Psalm 8 says you're the crown of all creation. And so, you know, I, I, I want you to think on this stuff a little bit. Um, that, and and, and let's, let's try to feed you with a few scriptures that remind you of who you are and maybe stir up a little of this. By the way, royalty is the language of privilege. Um, can I give you a, a weird commentary on that? I don't think there is such a thing as white privilege. Can I give you a political thought? I don't think there is such a thing as white privilege. Uh, I think there's such a thing as righteous privilege. And I think wherever people, wherever nations, wherever humans choose to follow the word of God and follow Jesus, they will be the privileged people. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. You will be blessed going out. You will be blessed coming in. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. God doesn't, God doesn't care what color your skin is when he's pouring out blessings. A little commentary there. Royalty. Royalty is the language of privilege, nobility, excellence, abundance, favor, wisdom, counsel, knowledge, and leadership. Royalty is also the language, it's also the language of justice, protection, and responsibility. The king is just, merciful, benevolent, wise, and protecting. He's a warrior over his people, a deliverer and an advocate for the common. I think this is what God calls us to. Royalty saves, royalty builds, royalty protects. Royalty sets you apart. What's the foundation of your royalty? Um, you're a new creation. Anybody in the building a new creation? The word new creation, the, you know, the, the phrase there in 2 Corinthians 5.17, um, it means one that's never existed before. You are so unique... And in the new creation, in the new creation of you, in the recreation of you, 
He's, he has re-fulfilled or re-engaged you with his image. So you can't say, well, my image is marred. Uh, you know, when Adam fell, I fell, and, and my image is marred. All of, that, all of that was true. All of that was true. But when he recreated you in Christ Jesus, he reconnected you to the image of God. You are fully recreated. You walk fully as the first Adam did before he fell. That is, you're alive physically, you're alive in your soul unto God, and you're alive in your spirit unto God. And you have the witness of the spirit within you, the same witness that first Adam had before he fell. I love it. Isn't that cool? Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 actually starts in verse 16. I love that. From now on, we recognize no one according to their flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Okay, there, there came that day where they understood... That he was, he was much more than the son of Mary and Joseph. You need to understand you are much more than the son or the daughter of Bob and Betty, of Mary and Fred. Whatever your parents are, when you come to Christ, the limitation of Adam and the limitation of mom and dad is literally broken off of your life. And it's wonderful if people around you don't recognize you according to your genetic history, your genealogy, your natural inheritance of mom and dad. It's wonderful if people around you don't recognize you that way and they don't judge you like, well, they're kind of from a backward family. Um, Oh, yeah, their family, they're kind of a... Well, that family, they were very involved in criminal activity. Or, oh, that, that family, now they had incest in that family. That, stay away from that family. It's wonderful if people no longer recognize you that way. But the exhortation is you've got to stop recognizing you that way. You might even want others around you to stop recognizing you that way. Hey, I'm a new creation creation in Christ. But have you not only transformed your inner image, but have you transformed the language with which you talk? You are now of royal blood. You are now a new creation. And not only do we want others to recognize you differently, but God is asking you to recognize yourself differently, to see yourself as a new creation, created for glory, created in glory, created for glory, predestined for glory, recreated in the image of God. Ephesians 2, let's go over there. These are probably verses that you know, but I'm provoking you today to begin to embrace the language of royalty. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Everybody say kindness. Say kindness toward me. He is showing, say it with me, he is showing kindness toward me. In Christ Jesus, for by grace have you been saved through faith and not of that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as the results of works so that no one will boast, for we are his workmanship. Genesis repeated. He has formed you in Christ. He has breathed the breath of life into you. In fact, as Jesus did this, literally and symbolically in John 20, 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was literally that which they, the first believers, received, and all of us subsequently who come to Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Somebody got it. It is the gift of God, not of the result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, the word saved here, it's deeper than a conversion. It's deeper than fire insurance. It's deeper than sins forgiven. That's where religion wants it to stop. That's where the enemy wants to keep the church. The enemy wants to keep the church. You're still a mess, but you're a forgiven mess. No, you are royalty. You are royalty. You are a son and a daughter of God. You are a new creation, never, ever been before. You have the breath of God within you. Come on, somebody. It's so critical and important. So the word saved here is the word sozo. It means you've been brought out of bondage, brought out of darkness, and you've been fully brought into promise. Even if you are not participating in all the promises of God that are yours right now, you might not even know all the promises that belong to you right now. You may not be a full partaker of every promise that belongs to you right now, but in Christ, God has already made them available to you. The moment you learn of one, you can cash in on it. So that's number one. You're a new creation. Number two, I'm just stirring up your heart, and I've only got a couple minutes left. Number two, you've been raised up as a partaker of resurrection life. You've been raised up. Did you know you're already walking in resurrection life? Did you know Jesus is the tree of life? You are already eating of him. You are a partaker of resurrection. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in church, we are eloquent, we are wonderful, we are amazing at focusing on the crucified life. 
And we're going to tell you all the sins that you need to crucify. And we're going to wax eloquent and, and tell you how you need to put to death all of that sinful past and all that sinful behavior and no longer have those thoughts and don't do this anymore and don't do that anymore. And we are going to emphasize the cross and the crucified life so good. And we're going to just get you thinking about the cross. And the fact is, we're going to have you wear a cross around your neck. And we're going to have you, we're going to sell crosses in our bookstore. And we're going to have crosses printed on the front of your Bible. We're going to remind you every day that you're a crucified person. But where's the shroud, baby? Where's the shroud? You're actually a resurrected person. The crucifixion is actually, it's, a, it's actually, it's not your destination. It's what you're passing through. The moment you, the moment, the moment that you remember the crucified life, if you don't remember the resurrected life, if you don't marry those two things together, then you are not releasing the power within you to be the transformed person God's called you to be. Whenever you focus on something you don't want to be, that reactionary power actually reproduces what you don't want to be within you because you're focusing on what you don't want to be. If you want to change, you have to focus on what you want to be. You have to focus on who you have become. You haven't become a crucified person. You have become a resurrected person. That is, the, that is what you have to marry together. You are already raised up. Can I prove it to you? Romans chapter 6. We okay? Therefore, if we have, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I'm not waiting for heaven to walk in newness of life. I'm not waiting for my immortal, incorruptible body to walk in newness of life. I'm going to walk in newness of life today. It's my privilege by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life today. Oh, come on, somebody. For, we, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. When? 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 When we pass away? See if I can give you a southern accent and maybe get your attention. When will that transpire? In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, he's talking about right now, isn't he? The context is right now. Right now, I'm embracing a crucified life so that I can embrace a resurrected life. I'm putting the body of sin to death right now by faith. And I'm no longer a slave to sin. And he who has died is freed from sin. Not died as in a physical death. He who has identified with the death of Christ is freed from sin. 
Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lived, he lives to God. Even so, verse 11, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When? Right now. When? Right now. Right now. You're already partaking of resurrection life right now. Tell yourself that, right? Just tell yourself, I'm already, I'm already, come on, somebody, you need to talk to yourselves. I'm already a partaker of resurrection life. Resurrection life is flowing in me. It's, it's changed your DNA. Can I prove to you that resurrection life has, has changed your DNA? You know why? I'll give you one proof. Because you can't sin anymore. Amen. Immediately you thought, oh yeah, watch me. <laughs> but you can't. You can't practice sin anymore. Your, your inner DNA has been changed, altered, transformed so much that none of you that have truly come to know the Lord can continue to practice sin anymore. It drives you nuts. It grieves your heart. It messes you up. Separates you from God. Makes you feel like crud. Makes you want to get delivered. Makes you seek out prayer. Why are you seeking out prayer? Makes you worried that you're going to miss the rapture. Makes you wonder if you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is all that happening on the inside of you? Because you're changed. Because you are a royal person. You are a son, a daughter of God. You are no longer ordinary. You are no longer common. You are no longer of this common realm. You are superior in every way. You are anointed of God. You are tasting the supernatural life. You've been given a new name. The Bible says you've been given a new name. The Bible gave us story after story. We need to close. The band needs to come. I need to move into my first closing quickly. I'm going to skip a few. You've been given a new name. You know, the word Christian, it doesn't mean little Christ, uh, though that could be sufficient. That could be fine. But, you know, the word Christian means anointed one. Anointed one. Every time you say to someone you are a Christian or they ask you, are you a Christian? You're actually proclaiming. And Isaiah spoke of this. He says, you will be known by a new name that the Lord shall designate. What's in a name? Oh, everything's in this name. You are an anointed one. You are an anointed one. You have the solution for every problem. You have the breakthrough for every situation. You are an anointed one. So you have a new name. You have been given a new nature, a pure nature. I told you that. You've been restored to heaven's culture as citizens.
You are royal sons and daughters of God. Let's stand. The question today that will really help your language, and again, it's not Spanish or English. The language of heaven, the language of royalty. The question for you today is what kingdom, what f kingdom are you focusing on? What nation, what kingdom, what, what place? If you're focused on the church, then you've you got to learn church ease and you've got to fit in with all those churchy people around you. And I hope something good's happening as you've joined yourself to us. But rather than learning the language of church or Christianese or legalese or holyese or righteousese, Let's learn the language of heaven, the language of royalty, the language of abundance, the language of healed and whole, the language of provision, the language of protection, the language, the language that cares for the common. See, you've been lifted above the common to care for the common. Lord, we just release a kingly heart, a kingly heart, a royal spirit over this auditorium this morning. Hands up all across this auditorium. Would you just receive from the Lord? Receive from the Lord. Receive from the Lord. Receive from the Lord. Let every other thought, let every other imagination be dismissed. Even where you're standing, just begin to pray even and ask of God to wash. Oh, the word is a washing. The Word is a washing. And we allow the washing of the Word right now to wash from us the framework, the mindset, the foundation of our linguistics, the foundation of our talk, the foundation of our language, the, the foundation of how we talk, the foundation of how we think. We allow the Word to wash failure and defeat out of us, to wash disappointment out of us, to wash, to wash to wash us, to wash judgment out of us, to wash, wash rejection out of us this morning, Jesus. Wash inferiority out of us, Jesus. Wash false humility out of us, Jesus. Wash it out of us. Wash, it, wash ordinary out of us. Oh, let ordinary be washed out. Let it be washed out. Restore us to the place where we can hope again, where we can believe again, where we could receive a superior word from you, a majestic word from you, and we would not refuse it for fear that it wouldn't come to pass, but we would accept it. We would in humility accept it, that we would accept 
that we would accept something majestic spoken over us, something rich, something wonderful, something gracious, something glorious. You've chosen us for glory. We don't even know what that looks like. We ask you to show us what that glory looks like. We ask you to show us what glory looks like. We ask you to move us in. Come on, help me pray, church. Help me pray. Help me pray. I want your heart engaged with this, with your own words, with your own words. Let your heart be engaged with asking Father to move you into the glory that you've never known, move you into a place of glory and understanding glory and partaking of glory in a way that you've never, ever partaken of before. We ask you to do so, Father, that you would, that you would come upon us, that you would deliver us from the mundane, deliver us from the common, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us from condemned, deliver us from ashamed, deliver us from reproach, deliver us from family history where there's been sin or difficulty or poverty or where there's been the mark of the enemy on our family. We ask you to deliver us of that. Bring us into royalty. Bring us into royalty. Let this week even be a new week. Let this be a week where you visit us and just bring corrective, loving, corrective coaching thoughts and words and framework of royalty. Show us how to think. Show us how to think. Show us how to see ourselves. Show us how to see ourselves. Show us how to see ourselves, Jesus. We invite you to do so. I'm going to open the front for prayer. If you're here this morning and you came believing to give your life to the Lord, you came estranged from the Lord or not sure if you, if your sins were forgiven or if you had a relationship with Him, if you came this morning with another need and you, you just would be so blessed by prayer, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and be ready here at the front to pray with you as we go. We're going to, we're going to worship, sing a worship song as we go. Nothing more important than his presence. Nothing more important than his touch on your life. The enemy's breaking stuff off of you right now, and it just, it, it'd be good to bask in that a little bit. Some of you, uh, I, I, I don't mean uh, uh, the enemy, the Lord is breaking things from the enemy off of you right now. Perspectives. Thoughts of self. We want to bask in allowing the Lord to break those things. Bask in allowing the Lord to break those things. Father, we thank you for your work in our midst. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for your anointing upon us. We release honor one to another. We release honor one to another. We don't see each other according to the history that any person has had. But we embrace this morning that we are dwelling and living amongst those who are royal, royal. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said,